You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. But we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build, and bribed counsellors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia, and in the reign of Ahasuerus, In the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam and Mithridath and Tabil and the rest of their associates wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The letter was written in Aramaic and translated. Rahim the commander and Shimshai the scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. Rahim the commander... Shimshai the scribe, and the rest of their associates, the judges, the governors, the officials, the Persians, the men of Erech, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is, the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Osnapar deported and settled in the cities of Samaria, and in the rest of the province beyond the river. This is a copy of the letter that they sent. To Artaxerxes the king, your servants, The men of the province beyond the river send greeting. And now be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Now, because we eat the salt of the palace, and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, therefore we send and inform the king, in order that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers. You will find in the book of the records, and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and provinces, and that sedition was stirred up in it from of old. That was why this city was laid waste, We make it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will then have no possession in the province beyond the river. The king sent an answer to Rahim the commander and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their associates who live in Samaria and in the rest of the province beyond the river, greeting. And now, 
the letter that you sent to us has been plainly read before me. And I made a decree, and search has been made, and it has been found that this city from of old has risen against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made in it. And mighty kings have been over Jerusalem, who ruled over the whole province beyond the river, to whom tribute, custom, and toll were paid. Therefore make a decree that these men be made to cease, and that this city be not rebuilt, until a decree is made by me. And take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? Then, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahim and Shimshai the scribe and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem, and by force and power made them cease. Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Good morning, City on a Hill. Uh, so good to be with you this morning. What do you think of that guy's accent? Are you a fan? It's all right. You're going to have to suffer through it for a little bit longer this morning. Uh, my name's Ben. Hopefully you would have been here last week. You might have met me on a video with Guy Mason and Pete Stephen. I'm hoping, playing, praying, planning, preparing to plant a church in Ballarat with City on a Hill next year. And I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, my wife, Suja, and I and our kids, we spent eight happy years in this part of the city, ministering at a church in Camberwell. And so this is familiar uh, territory for us, and it's, it's really good to be back here with us. Suja would love to have been here, but she, alas got COVID for Mother's Day, like lots of others, it's science. Hey, will we pray together, and then we'll ask God for His help in uh, opening His Word together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You that You are a God who speaks truth and relevance and beauty through Your Word. Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage, Ezra 4, this morning together, that You would help us uh, to see what You are saying to us as we build Your church here in this city and in this nation. We pray these things in your glorious name. Amen. Hey, let me ask you a question as we start off today. What has drawn you here to City on a Hill? What brought you here? Maybe you're here for the first time. Welcome if you are. Welcome if you're joining us online for the first time. Uh, maybe you're here for a long time. What is it that was the, the clincher for you? I'm new this year, and one of the things that attracted me to this movement of churches is the, the piercing clarity of our, our mission, our purpose. Uh, we are a church that exists to know Jesus and make Jesus known. And, and there's so much depth in that one little phrase, isn't there? So much wrapped up in that. And I love the big, bold vision that City on a Hill has to plant. How many churches in 10 cities? 50 churches in 10 cities. That's huge. That's ambitious. I love that. And I love your ambition, your vision here at City on a Hill East to reach the eastern suburbs of Melbourne with the good news of Jesus. Each of us scattered like ambassadors through different suburbs, different communities, uh, where God has put us to share the gospel. It's so exciting when we think about us scattered all over the city. But here's the thing. Having this big, bold vision and our purpose so fixed on Jesus, there is a lot of building work to do. And when there is a big building work to do like this, the Bible shows us uh, that we have an enemy who is actively opposing God's work, God's purposes, God's plans for His people in His world. We see that throughout the Scriptures, that the devil 
is opposing what God is doing. He wants the uh, supreme authority and the glory in all creation. And so, even though his worst weapon, death, has been disarmed, the devil is not going without a fight. He is not going. He's going to fight tooth and nail to oppose what God is doing. Remember 1 Peter chapter 5, he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And the prospect of this church, planting new churches, he detests that idea. He despises it. And it should not surprise us when we face opposition for doing God's work, for building God's church. Uh, That is true today, and that was true absolutely in Ezra chapter 4. Satan's fingerprints are all over it. So this is the, the big question Ezra poses for us today. Are we ready for the battle ahead? There's going to be bumps and bruises. And so this chapter helps set our expectations for what we'll be facing as we try and accomplish God's purposes in this world, in this city, in this part of Melbourne. Now, you guys know the best sermons come in threes, right? And so we've got three weapons, three things the devil uses to oppose God's people, three weapons in his armory. We're going to look at them each in turn so we can prepare ourselves for when, not if, when they're turned on us. So, If you have a Bible, I'd love you to open at Ezra so we can see the story unfold together. We are well into our rebuild series in Ezra and then Nehemiah now. We're in about 540 BC and we're seeing God using his people to rebuild his temple and then his city, Jerusalem, after they've come back from exile. And it's so relevant for us as we think about rebuilding our church after the the last couple of years that we've had. And as we look ahead to what God is going to do with us as a church. And so far in the story, things are going well, right? People have returned. That work has started. The foundation has been laid in the temple. That was last week in chapter three. They're hitting their KPIs. All is going well. But then we read chapter four, the start of verse one. Have a look with me. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, dot, dot, dot. The word is out. The the news of this building project has gone viral. And the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin have caught wind of it. The enemies of the people of God. Uh, But at first, they don't seem to be enemies, do they? They they come with this offer of help in verse 2 that seems like a no-brainer. Let me read it. Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now, if they come to me with that offer, I'm thinking pragmatics, right? I'm thinking, this is great. I want to rebuild the temple. They want to help rebuild the temple. I, I worship God. They say they worship God. What's not to like? This is a a gift from on high. It is a yes, an amen from me. Lucky I'm not making decisions for the people of Judah and Benjamin, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, and the heads of the father's houses are, and our man Zerubbabel knows his history, and he smelled a rat. You see, this is the first weapon the enemy throws at the people of God, the, the pull of compromise. There are clues here that this offer is compromised. It has strings attached. First clue, 
is that they have been sacrificing to God since the days of Esau hadn't. Now, the problem for Zerubbabel is that they've just rebuilt the altar. Last week in chapter 3, to restart offering sacrifices to the Lord according to the law of Moses. God had given some really clear instructions to his people on, on where they should worship and what they should do in terms of sacrifice, what and, and where and when that should happen. And it was meant to happen in the temple in Jerusalem. And sacrifice was key for God's relationship with his people. It was his way of dealing with their sin. That was the whole point of the sacrificial system, to cleanse the people of their sin and to point us to Jesus, right? The, the one true and final sacrifice for sin. And where were those sacrifices to be made before Jesus? On the altar, in the temple, in Jerusalem, which they've only just rebuilt. Clue number one. Second clue is who these people were. They were brought to Israel by Esarhaddon, king of Assyria. And you and I both know this takes us back to the book of two kings, right? You know that. Two kings, 17, when Israel was smashed up and the people taken into exile, the, the great superpower, Assyria, carried them off. And the king didn't want to leave the land empty. So he sent people from all over his empire back into Israel. And they came with their gods, their idols. They, they worshiped them, but just to hedge their bets, they also worshiped Yahweh, the, the God of Israel. But the trouble with that was this. Let me read 2 Kings 17, 34. Uh, to this day, they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord, and they do not follow the statutes or the rules or the law or the commandment that the Lord has given and commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. Sure, they worshiped Yahweh, but he was just one God among the, the pantheon of gods they worshiped. And the problem with that is, is that it has no confidence in God's goodness or his sovereignty or his singularity in achieving his purposes for this world. That's no kind of worship at all if it's not done according to the word of God. It'd be like me praying this morning to God that he would bring a, a friend to faith, but then tonight going home and praying to Allah just in case God was busy and he didn't hear my prayer this morning. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? And yet that is what they're doing. Zerubbabel knew that this seduction was spiritually poisonous. Uh, to accept their offer now would mean that when the temple's finished, they'd want to be involved in the worship and that would be compromised worship. He knew that God had given instructions very clearly on how worship was to be done. And, and in fact, mixing with other faiths and worshiping other gods, that was the very reason they had been carried off into exile in the first place. No, it would be catastrophic for this rebuilding of the nation, obedient to God. Friends, we know that God is just as concerned today that He alone is the object of our worship. What did Jesus say in John 14? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no escaping the exclusivity of Jesus there, is there? And we are a, a Jesus church. Pat said it already. We exist to know Jesus 
and to make Jesus known. There's no room for the worship of anyone else. Now, City on the Hill East, as a church collectively, there's not much chance, I think, of us turning 180 degrees away from worshiping Jesus. That's not likely to happen. We had a, a staff conference this week on the Gold Coast. It was a really tough week. We had a hotel overlooking the sea. It was a balmy 24 degrees. We were surrounded by some great people. It was a real slog. And, and some of us felt obliged to go to the beach on Wednesday afternoon. And so we went into the water. And right at the edge of the, the shore, water was only about waist deep. Uh, there was this really strong rip that ran down the full length of the shore. And so to st- sort of stand in the water, you had to dig your feet into the sand and brace against the flow of this rip if you wanted to stay put. And that was kind of fun. But if you tried to swim or you tried walking and lost your footing, you'd go down and, and pop up 20, 30, 40 meters down the shoreline. So fast was this rip running before you'd even realized what was happening. No, there's not much chance that we will turn en masse away from Jesus, but we might drift. Little by little, and all the more as the devil uses this first weapon against us, the the pull of compromise, especially when pragmatism is at play. Imagine this, and this is purely hypothetical. I want to stress, this has not happened, I don't think. What, what if the council came and said, City on a Hill East, you guys have been great tenants here at the community center, uh, but we're a council that can't be seen to favor one religion over another. And so on your gatherings on Sunday mornings, you're going to have to stop talking about Jesus being the only way to God. That's offensive to the other members of uh, other religions in our community. So if you want to keep this building, you're going to have to stop doing that. And you can feel the tension there, right? Imagine trying to find another place to meet like this with all the storage space and the breakout space and the, and the car parking space. Ugh, it'd be awful trying to do that, wouldn't it? But the compromise is huge. There is only one way to God. No one comes to the Father except through me. There aren't many paths up the mountain to meet God. No, there is one way. It is Jesus alone, isn't it? Amen? And our worship here has to reflect that, doesn't it? Or imagine this, you invite a friend to Alpha tomorrow night, but they're a bit worried about the the church's stance on sexuality. They've heard that that we promote chastity in singleness and faithfulness in marriage and marriage for one man and one woman, and and they kind of feel like that's just really outdated and old-fashioned. Do you really believe those parts of the Bible? And in that moment, there's tension again, isn't there? What do we do? We know that how we answer might determine whether or not they come to Alpha and hear the gospel. Do we soften our answer so they come? Well, no, we can't. We worship a God who's given us His Word, all of it. We can't compromise on the parts that we find uncomfortable. Because before we know it, we'd be drifting down the coast. Drifting further and further and further away from worshiping Jesus alone, according to His Word. As we build this church and and new churches, City on a Hill, we need to take our cue from Zerubbabel. Check out what he says In verse 3, we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel. No compromise, no drift, not seduced 
by the promise of getting this work done faster or completing this mission quicker. No, he has a clear head. They worship God alone. They worship according to his word, all of it. Compromise is not taken. That is the first weapon the devil has for this battle ahead. Uh, This year, I've spent a lot of time in Ballarat preparing to plant a church up there. And so I've been meeting lots of people and it kind of has this first date vibe to it. Uh, You go up and they're sussing me out. I'm sussing them out. We're wondering whether this relationship has a future. We're wondering if it even has a second date. It's kind of weird. But the first day that I went up there and, and had a series of meetings, it went so well. So well, positive, lots of people really excited to be part of this church, to roll their sleeves up and, and get stuck in. And so my, my second trip, I was expecting the same. I was meeting an influential guy, uh, a tip from a good friend. And so I went in thinking, this guy could be a really good ally for us planting this church. Uh, but I couldn't have been more wrong. He thought there were enough churches in Ballarat already. Uh, He thought that our style wouldn't really attract people from Ballarat. He didn't think our theology quite fitted the city. Uh, And he was sure that in the existing Anglican churches up there, none of those people would want to come to City on a Hill. So I kind of laughed nervously and said, there's about 99,950 other people in Ballarat we're hoping to connect with. But he didn't get it. And so I left that meeting flat as a pancake so discouraged that that things had started so well, and yet already we were encountering this this opposition, this blasé kind of meh attitude. And you know, discouragement is another weapon, the second weapon the devil uses, and we see in Ezra 4. The people haven't given in to compromise, and so the tactics change. I need to be ready, we need to be ready for discouragement that comes our way as we build out God's purposes for his church here in Melbourne. Look with me at verse four. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and and bribe counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. This verse, these verses could be a summary of the whole chapter, but it's worth camping here just for a moment to see the, the nature of this discouragement. It stirred up fear, didn't it? There was bribery by these counselors, these local officials, and we don't know what for, but the outcome of this discouragement was to frustrate their purpose. The work stalled. They were distracted, and, and not just for a little while. This went on from Cyrus, king of Persia, to Darius, king of Persia. That's a a reign, or those are reigns of about 20 years, over 20 years. That's a long time to be discouraged, isn't it? It's a a powerful weapon the devil can use in this war because it wearies us, right? It makes us wonder where God really is. Why can't he just come and clear away this opposition? Why can't he just push through these problems we're facing to achieve his purposes after all? I was asking those questions after one discouraging conversation. Can you imagine doing it for over 20 years? In this part of Melbourne, this is a a weapon that is especially challenging for us, isn't it? Because we are meant to be in control of our own destiny, aren't we? 
We're meant to be in charge. We have good jobs that pay well so we can live in good suburbs with good neighbors and and good schools and appreciating house prices so that we have security and control over our future and so that our kids can then go to good schools and get good jobs and perpetuate that cycle of of self-reliance. That's certainly the cultural air that I'm breathing. My purposes don't get frustrated. I get stuff done. I'm in control until I'm not. And sometimes I don't know what to do with that. And and we don't get told here what to do with that in this passage. Now we know from the whole story of the Scriptures that God can use bad for good, that when things seem to be going wrong, God is still achieving His purposes. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that the church persecuted, scattered far and wide across the Roman world, but they go with the gospel. And so the gospel scatters far and wide across the empire. We see it most clearly at the cross, where God can use extraordinary bad, the death of Jesus, for eternal good, the promise of of forgiveness of sin and, and the cleansing of our shame and guilt, that is using bad for good, and, and God can do that in our own lives. We, we know this in Romans 5. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so in our heads, we can know those things to be true, but it won't stop us feeling flat and discouraged when other p- people try and derail the purposes of God. So we need to be ready, ready to spur one another on, when discouragement comes. This is where being in a gospel community is just priceless. These small groups that meet around this part of the city, if you're not in one, can I commend them to you enormously? And if you are in one, can I encourage you to be there for the other people in that group? It's so helpful always, but especially when we're feeling discouraged that that there are people there to remind us of the things we know to be true. So helpful. And hey, we need to be ready as a church to put an arm around Nick and Neil and and Kerry and Pat and Matt when they face discouragement, and they will, when people leave and hopes are dashed and and plans are are derailed and and postponed or or just plain canceled, give them a call. Encourage them in their godliness. Take them for a coffee to show them the difference that they're making, to to build them up when they're feeling flat. We need to be ready for each other's sake when those seasons of discouragement come our way, city on a hill. Compromise, discouragement, they will come. And the third weapon, the last one that we see in this war in Ezra 4, is organized opposition and accusations. This is where things get nasty. Now, what Ezra does here is a little odd in verses 6 to the end, to 24, uh, he drops in this story from the future. He's writing much further on than the events of 1 to 5. And so he does this to, to show how this war keeps being waged and how God's people keep facing the opposition of the evil. And we, we jump forward decades from Kings Cyrus and Darius to Ahasuerus and then Artaxerxes. We're going to meet him again with Nehemiah. And this time... He shows us that the adversaries get organized together. Have a look with me at verse 9 with all the names. Rahum, the commander, Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their associates. 
the judges, the governors, the officials, the Persians, the men of Erech, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Uznapar deported and settled in the cities of Samaria and in the rest of the province beyond the river. In other words, a lot of important dudes get together and write this letter in opposition to the walls in Jerusalem being rebuilt. The, the temple's been finished. They move on to the walls. And these men organize a letter to King Artaxerxes to urge him to stop this building. It's full of accusations and threats. Did you hear them as we read it? They say this is a, a rebellious and wicked city. They won't pay their taxes to you, great king. The royal revenue will be impaired. We, they say, we, O king, we love you. We honor you. We don't want you to be dishonored. We're concerned for you. So if you let these walls be built, verse 16, you will then have no possession in the province beyond the river. (gasps) Sounds awful, doesn't it? But it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous overstatement that they have made. It'd be like someone writing a letter to Scott Morrison, telling him his entire rule is at stake because the people of Kyneton haven't paid their taxes. Anyone from Kyneton? It's good. I'm not saying you would. Uh, but sure, right? He might notice that it's a, a, a not being paid, but it's not a risk to his rule, not at all. This province was enormous. It went from the Mediterranean down into Egypt and all the way back to the river Euphrates in Iraq. And there's no actual suggestion that Jerusalem won't pay their taxes. It's trumped up accusations, but the mud sticks. The king is spooked, and so he makes his decree. We read it in verse 21, therefore make a decree that these men be made to cease and that this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me. There is a a persuasive power when influential people organize themselves against the purposes of God, isn't there? All these important people saying there's a problem in Jerusalem, so the king believes there's a problem in Jerusalem. And it's not that far from our experience today, is it? Think about Christian religious education in school, CRE or SRI. It's fading out in state schools, squeezed out by secular education. Same for mustard schools. These, uh, this is an organization that, that hosts lunchtime groups in schools for Christian kids and a place, a safe place where faith can be discussed, squeezed out in state schools. Now, these weren't perfect programs. I'm not lamenting the death of Christendom here, but they're an object lesson in that a few loud voices organized together can hinder the mission of God, can seem to derail what God is doing with accusations of indoctrination and and brainwashing and Bible bashing. We don't have to look far to see this weapon being used around us. Now, look. Christians and preachers especially, we can kind of build this siege mentality and play this persecution card a little too quickly, I think. Uh, We can tell ourselves that the whole world is against us, when in fact, if you think about the, the scope of the church's history, we in Melbourne in the 21st century, we have extraordinary freedom to live out our faith freely. And the truth is that most of the people around us will actually give us a hearing when we tell them about what we believe to be true about Jesus. But in passages like Ezra 4, it's clear 
there is a battle ongoing. The devil has these weapons to wage war against us. So, we do need to be ready. We do need to be ready when they are turned against us. And City on a Hill, we shouldn't be surprised if we experience a season of opposition. We have experienced extraordinary growth across this church and in this movement of churches. Precious few other churches in Melbourne have experienced this, so it would be no surprise if we are singled out for opposition from the evil one. I'm going to invite the band back up as we finish up all all week. I've been back and forth on, on where to finish this sermon, because if we leave it in Ezra 4, it's pretty flat, isn't it? If you aren't a Christian, you're probably thinking, why would I want any part of this? This is miserable. And on Mother's Day, gosh, it's terrible. We need chapters 5 and 6 to resolve the tension in this story. That's when God's victory is seen. That's when the temple gets rebuilt. But you know, as I sat with that tension, it made more and more sense to finish here because it matches our experience and it matched Jesus's experience. Right at the end of his life, he's in the, the Mount, on the Mount of Olives. He's alone in prayer and he is pleading with God that there would be another way, that God would take this cup of suffering from him, that he didn't have to die. He's pleading so, praying so hard that, that he's sweating blood. Now, Jesus, of all people, knew that after death was resurrection. His faith was rock solid, sure. And yet even he lived in this tension of present suffering now. And that's our experience, isn't it? In our heads, we know the end of the story, right? We know the temple gets rebuilt. We know that after crucifixion is resurrection. We know that we will experience peaceful perfection for all eternity. And yet in the moment, we can feel discouraged. We can feel the the pull to compromise our worship. We can feel the accusations and the opposition of people around us. Now we know that God wins this war. And if you're not a Christian, we, we want to share that hope with you. Come back next week, please, and celebrate God's victory in this story and in this world, but right now, and until Jesus comes back, the war is not over. Progress will ebb and flow. Maturity and growth will plateau. We, as a church, we may even lose good men and women. The the pull to compromise, discouragement, accusations will come our way. Uh, Maybe that is the season you find yourself in today, under attack. Brothers and sisters, if that is you, you are absolutely in the right place. Look around. You are surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ who want to get into the trenches with you, who want to sit with you, who want to listen to you, who want to pray with you, who want to hold you in their arms, who want to sing with you even if you can't sing yourself. And friends, you know, this is the good news of the gospel that we have a Jesus the Jesus we're going to sing to now, who knows what it is to live through this tension, to know the present struggle and discouragement of now, and yet hold on to the promise of hope and freedom and rest forever. He promises 
you and I, that we will come out the other side. So we can sing as we will in a moment. When fears weigh me down and enemies press, a comfort I cling to in life and in death, Jesus, your mercy is all my rest. That is good news, friends, isn't it? You pray with me before we sing these words together. Lord Jesus, you experienced the the pull to compromise. You experienced discouragement. You experienced trumped up accusations, the lot. And you came out the other side. You suffered death and you came out the other side. So Father, for each of us, where we are this morning, whether we're experiencing spiritual highs or spiritual lows, would you remind us of these great truths that though the war rages, you have won the victory. Lord, use us as a community, even this morning, to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's in your strong name we pray it. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.